Welcome to Chapel Bell a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. Us. <laughs> We're like, well, what are we going to do today, Nathan? Um, well, yeah, today... I was, well, was going to say, I think you were also going to say, we're going to talk about football finally. We're going to talk about real, real, life, real actual life actual football. When people put on their pads and get CTE together in this beautiful harmony of body and mind and <laughs> possibly brain injury causing hits. So Very possible. Very possibly. Okay, so um, I think we're going to kind of do this in two halves today. Mm-hmm. So first we're going to talk about UGA team news, talk about where we are, where, what does Georgia's team look like right now in terms of the ins and out kind of newsy items. And then we're going to take a deep dive into the um, horrible boiling swamp that is the statistics before this game. Mm-hmm. And by boiling swamp, I mean beautiful oasis because I love it. Um <laughs> And then we are going to give our predictions, I suppose, and just like run through what we think and what we're looking for and, you know, what some of the narratives going in here, maybe outside of the numbers, what these narratives look like, what these these beautiful dank memes um, narratives look like. So let's talk about some UGA news. Yeah. What's going on at UGA? Uh, this is where we... This is where we put in the, like, breaking news. The <laughs> One of us is out in the field. Yeah. This is this is going live to Justin Bray at the field. Yeah, I'm still out here on the field. This is, a, <laughs> this is an actual specific literal field we're talking about yeah, here. Yeah, actual field, football field. Um, yeah, what is going on with UJ football? There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, up until, like, today, we pretty much didn't know. We didn't know. And I'm doing quotations, which you really can't tell. Um, so they kind of lose their oomph. We didn't know who the QB was going to be. Right. Yeah. We, we officially have uh, Jake Fromm as QB2, which is, I mean, I think that's more relevant just in the sense that we we know that Bryce Ramsey, Ramsey is QB3. So that pretty much, I'm interpreting this to mean that they are ready to just pull Fromm's red shirt. Like if Eason gets, you know, if Eason has to come out from a, for a play because his uh, helmet comes off they're they're just gonna pull his red shirt yeah and send from out there or maybe they you know pulling his red shirt has already been done that i would imagine that what this also foretells is that you know if we do get up by 20 on samford that we're gonna see some jake from some action. jake from play yeah and that'll be a good time which is actually pretty exciting um i think the next item we really want to talk about is uh malcolm Parrish. Mm-hmm. um we had a last about a week and a half ago we he suffered a fracture in one of the small bones of his foot and he is apparently not yet ruled out now i don't know how much what your interpretation of this as is as to how much you think this is just like kirby trying to like sandbag the opposing coach or how much you think this is real i mean i've seen some guys compete granted at the the professional level with some broken bones in their feet um in most recent memory uh falcons running back i don't remember if Devonte freeman was it tevin coleman it was tevin i think it was coleman. tevin coleman was yeah. the one with a broken foot and yep, yep, yep. played through like the, the the bowl game or something ridiculous the bowl and, game yeah but he still ran for like 120 yards oh, oh when he was at indiana yeah when he was in yeah indiana. okay yeah okay, yeah I, I was like the bowl game in the nfl you um, know the yeah. bowl game the super bowl <laughs> yeah uh you know this We'll see what this means. I have to assume that if he does play, we're still going to be heavily rotating. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the tea leaves that have been read by the people who are smarter than us are that it looks like Aaron Davis, who is a junior walk-on, would be the next um, next guy up into that. Um, I think actually that Malcolm Parrish plays the field corner mm-hmm. um, into the field corner spot, and that that would 
scoot Aaron Davis out of contention for either the safety spot, which I think is where he'd be most likely to play, or the star. And that sort of the uh, maneuverings from that, it looks like Richard LeCount at the end of fall camp was actually running with the ones at Mm -hmm. the safety across from uh, Dominic Sanders. And that the star would then be J.R. Reed, um, who is a Tulsa transfer and actually cousin to Uber five-star freshman recruit D'Angelo Gibbs. Um, so there's a lot of fancy stuff going on. A lot yeah, of lot, lots of movement stuff. Yeah, I mean, I on. I think that the main thing to take away from this is a Richard LeCount is the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, Kirby had a quote about how basically when Richard LeCount is running with the twos, he has more problems because he has to call the defense. But when he's running with the ones and he has Dominic Sanders back there to tell him what to do, that he looks really good and that he gets it fifty to sixty percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Which honestly, considering that he came in in fall camp, is actually pretty impressive. Uh, we know he has great ball skills. We know he runs well. No, actually, he was an early enrollee. Um, we know he runs well. He's no, we know he's got great ball skills. So if he just learns the defense, I think he's going to be really, really good. Um, I think the other thing that tells us is that, you know, the J.R. Reed story is a successful one. We got him as a transfer. A lot of people cynically thought that, and rightfully so, that we only got him because we wanted D'Angelo Gibbs, his cousin. Mm-hmm. But it seems like that, that that's a move that's definitely paid off. If we're, if we're, gonna, if we're willing to start this guy at the star... I mean, I think that that's a good that's a good look because this is a good defense. Yeah, absolutely, and it's going to be. We'll talk more about it when uh, we get into the App State preview. How important that's really going to be, and how telling it's going to be once we get to see what these guys are going to do on defense. Yep, 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 yep. Um, so, what's our next topic? We're talking about the kicking game. I know there's a lot of movement on the kicking uh, on special teams, and there's been a, a huge push and a lot of emphasis on the special teams from Kirby Smart specifically. Uh, just with the the new transfer from Wofford. Um, Cameron, no. David uh, Marvin. David Marvin, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so on both sides of the ball, uh, on special teams, uh, specifically kick return and also who was kicking the ball. Um, they did, did decide a few different things. Um, who's going to be punting, but they didn't decide who was going to be actually kicking field goals and kickoffs. And uh, as of last week when I wrote this, um, we had not decided on a kick returner just yet. Yeah, so Cameron Nazilek, I don't know how to pronounce his name. The, the transfer from Columbia mm-hmm. looks like he's pretty much locked up the punting job. So we know that much. Um, what Since I wrote down these notes, I think that we found out that it looks like Rodrigo Blankenship mm-hmm. um, is going to be kicking kickoffs. But as, in terms of place kicks, we do not know. Um, um, it looks like Rodrigo might be running in front of um, David Marvin, the transfer, but... My understanding was that at this last, the the last scrimmage of fall camp is usually more like a prep scrimmage and most of the positions were settled. And my understanding was that at this last scrimmage, they were going to have both guys kicking, which means that that was still up in the air as of Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, as for returner, it seems like they're still looking for some people. I know Akil Crumpton was thought to be a guy who would do punt returns. He was sort of our Isaiah McKenzie replacement. Mm-hmm. I've also heard McCall Hardman's name. Yep. And I've heard... Um, Terry Godwin's name, but I mean, we'll just have to see. That seems like it's probably going to be something done by committee, but that's something that they definitely have not yet released. To kind of just give you an idea of where we are on the depth chart right now, mm-hmm. Seth Emerson, our intrepid, uh, one of our very, very good beat reporters with the AJC at Dog Nation, he tweeted out a tweet that said, here's a picture of the depth chart that UGA, UGA released with its media notes, and it is just a picture of an iPhone note that says, nope, period. <laughs> so... Suffice to say, we don't know. We have no clue. Yeah. Um, reading the tea leaves, I feel like Akil Crumpton was brought in to be 
Kill Crumpton, it seems like he's a transfer, from a Ju- Juco transfer. Um, it seems like a Kill Crumpton has really been a surprise in terms of being a very good, uh, seems like he'll be a good contributor as a slot mm-hmm. um, receiver, but he was brought in to be a punt returner, and I cannot imagine that that wouldn't be the first thing they would do with him. Um, in terms of who's going to return kickoffs, I really I really couldn't tell you. I think Bacall Hardman has a really good chance. Um, he seems to be flashing pretty well and is like one of the most athletic, quickest, fastest guys on the team. Really great with the ball in his hands. And if anything, his only weakness as a receiver right now is that he hasn't been a receiver for very long. Um, and so he doesn't know the route trees very well. So what that would tell me is that probably a good place to put him would be kickoff return. But we'll see. Um, do we have any other notes? Any other news notes that are worthy of... Oh, oh, yeah. One thing I want to point out is that um, it seems that help is on the way, kicking-wise. Uh, Jake Camarda, who is a senior um, kicking in Georgia, the rare three-star um, kicker, which is pretty much being like a five-star kicker because <laughs> uh, Raiders uh, rating services really, really, really hate kickers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a kicker at Norcross right now, but in the first week, he kicked a, in the Corky Kill Classic for Norcross, he kicked a 53-yarder that looked, and I watched it, it looked like it would have been good from about 63, so... He is a very, very, very good um, prospect in terms of kickoffs, place kicks, and a, an excellent punter. So um, I'm very excited to see what he can do. And it looks like, I mean, he's on scholarship coming in next year. So he look, he seems to be the presumptive starter for 2018 already. That's very exciting. Isn't, uh, what's his face? Uh, Rodrigo. Rodrigo. Yeah. I keep, is it Blankenship? Yeah. Because I know someone with the last name Blankenship, but I yeah. don't ever want to say it because I feel like it's just me assuming. Um, he's only a sophomore, isn't he? Or is he a junior now? Um, I believe he is only a sophomore, but you know you have to understand. There's a big, not you, but one has to understand that you know Rodrigo. <laughs> um, last year there was a big dust dust up with his dad, Ken Blankenship, mm-hmm. complaining about um, complaining about him not having a scholarship, and he does not have a scholarship. And I, you know, he's a redshirt sophomore right now, so it's his third year. Um, okay. I would I would not be surprised if Kamarda took his spot. You know, it seems Kirby seems pretty intent on making sure that this this team understands that he can and will recruit over them. Yes. And if they get a guy who can come in here and just bang out 63 yarders like, you know, just on the reg, I cannot imagine that he wouldn't take Rodrigo's spot. Rodrigo's got a good leg and he's semi accurate, but he does not have a cannon leg. No, that kid's starting every day, all day, every day. Yeah. All right. Do we have any other news? What else is going on out there in the world? Um, just a couple of things I've been hearing. It looks like Andrew Thomas is really, really coming on. Um, mm-hmm. He seems to be the presumptive starter at right tackle right now, which is a really, really... Um, it's either it's it, it's either inciting or uh, it brings trepidation, depending on how you think about it. I mean, mm-hmm. the good news is that he's an uber recruit and he's doing what uber recruits do, which is what... Um, which is, you know, take people's spots. Uh, the first team media... Uh, or the first team... Offensive line as of media viewing today, which is August 28th, was from left to right, Isaiah Wynn, Pat Allen, Lamont Galliard, Solomon Kindley, and Thomas. The second team was Isaiah Wilson at left tackle, which is very interesting. Dyshawn Sims at left guard, Sean Fogarty at center, Kendall Baker at right guard, and right tackle Ben Cleveland. The four tackles are very interesting because you've got um, Isaiah Wynn, who is an undersized senior who 
is just sort of like one of these guys who does everything right and is a very good technician. And then the other three tackle spots in the two deep seem to be manned by these, or not seem to be, but are manned by these, you know, sort of uber recruit five-star guys. Um, ben Cleveland was a five-star from last year, and Isaiah Wilson and Andrew Thomas were five-stars from this year. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that breaks up going mm-hmm. forward. We've got some recruiting stuff sort of brewing. It seems like that we might get commitments. We might get commitment dates set from a few recruits that UGA is in contention for. Adam Anderson, who is a five-star defensive end slash outside linebacker from Rome. Um, Justin Fields, who is the, I think now the number one overall recruit, if not number two, is a uh, dual threat quarterback from, um, he's a Harrison right now. And those two I've heard different things about Justin Fields, but it seems that Adam Anderson is leading towards UGA. And then um, coming up probably a little farther into the season, we might see somebody like Trey Hill, who is the number two rated offensive guard, and he's at Pace Academy, um, Andrew Thomas's actual uh, alma mater. I think that's about all we got. You got anything else? No, there's not a whole lot going on other than practicing right now. I'm excited for the season to get started uh, and for things to start happening. And I know a big thing we talked about before getting off the off topic for just a second is our perspective from game days. And your game, you'll be at the game, of yes, course. You'll be there yes. with the Redcoats, of course. I will be listening to the game, driving to Dragon Con. <laughs> it's. I'm very happy that we have a Georgia Tech representative on this show. <laughs> no, I, I'm. I'm actually just kidding. I have been. I have been to Dragon Con. I've been to Dragon Con several times. I have never been. This is my first time. Oh, yeah. It's so awesome, dude. Just get excited. Yeah, we're very excited. It's like everything that you like in the world except for football in one place. Yeah. Um, it's really awesome. But what's great about it is that the football is going on right outside on that weekend every single year. Because I've been, when I used to work for Chick-fil-A, I used to uh, do the Chick-fil-A kickoff games. Dragon Con's always on the same exact weekend. So two worlds collide downtown Atlanta every year. And it's it's quite a sight to see. Well, yeah, I'm excited for you. Um, I'll be there with the Redcoats, uh, 6 o'clock game. My mm-hmm. initial take on it is that it's going to be hot. Oh, yeah. Uh, 6 o'clock the last few days at practice. Um, at Redcoat practice several times, the band director, or pretty consistently the band director will say, hey, it's 6 o'clock, this is what it's going to feel like, and you're going to have a wool uniform on. So yep. um, I think it'll probably be pretty toasty in there, at least to start it, to start the game. I think by about the by about the end of the second quarter, by halftime, we should be feeling pretty good in there, temperature-wise. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited about these night games that we were given. Yeah, first you know, three games of the season. For sure. My read on the situation is that I think we actually have, and we can get into this with the App State preview, I actually think that it's a real advantage for us to have this 6 o'clock game. I mean, I have never been to a night game. Let me think. I might have been, maybe, with one exception, maybe, but it's very rare to go to a night game at Stanford, or at Sanford yes. that is not just lit. Yeah. And... um there's going to be a lot of imbibing going on beforehand. Mm-hmm. and A long day of imbibing. A long day of imbibing. Yep. And, you know, I'm imagining you're going to have a lot of really, really, uh, really exorbitant um, tailgate spreads. Oh, yeah. And so that's, you know, it's going to be exciting to see. I'm not, I, I used to have a very, very large tailgate uh, at Smith Street in Lumpkin. I don't anymore because I'm doing this red coat thing. But um, I'm excited to kind of tailgate hop and see sort of what the zeitgeist feels like in terms of the season. Um, that's definitely one thing I want to be sure to report back about, you know, how the how Georgia fans at large and maybe people who aren't as into the stats are feeling about this season before the first game. Yeah, I mean, what what, what are you looking for in um, terms of your experience? I mean, I know you're listening to it, but... I'll be listening to it, so it'll be just me in the car alone listening to it, and I'm pretty excited about that. Um, I really enjoy radio 
games. How many games have you had the chance to listen to just on the radio before? Actually, you know, the last one I did, I listened to Missouri. Okay. Last year's Missouri game on the radio. It's really exciting, actually. Yeah, it is. It, it was very tense. It was a game where we didn't mm-hmm. we didn't score any points yep. very hardly at all. <laughs> yeah. And so it was incredibly tense. Yeah, and it, it, it's super exciting just because it, I liken it to the, the same idea of, like, reading a book. Like, you have to, of course, imagine what's going on and how the crowd feels, and you can hear the whole crowd, and it's absolutely incredible. Um, but I'm so excited. I... I my kind of way to handle excitement and stress both is to like get quieter and quieter. So I'm very excited and that's all I can really say. <laughs> yeah. I, that's I, where I am right now. You know, I think this is a pretty good time to transition into our app state preview. The mode. actual preview. Yeah. Because I have more thoughts, Yep, but I think we should save them for uh, the good, the official preview, this good, good stat stuff we're about to serve up. So let's get out some stuff about 2016 app state. Um, and what they did last year. What, what's good, what's bad, what's ugly? Um, okay, so here's the thing. First off, what something you got to understand about App State, and we'll, we'll just start this at like the narrative perspective, is that when you think about plucky mid-major team who upsets and kills uh, the D1 team, the, the Giant Slayer, when you think about you know um, teams like North Dakota State, you know, sort of that elk, uh, Wyoming, people have been doing it lately, just tearing up the Big Ten, what you usually think about is dynamic quarterback recruits, you know, underrated players and then develops them um, and just runs like a hell on wheels offense. But that's not really who App State is. App State is a very efficient offense, but not a not just a like slaughterhouse, like air raid, full out attack offense. Mm-hmm. And they are they're they're a very good defensive team. Mm-hmm. I think that's where I want to start in 2016. I mean, yes. um, they were their overall defensive S and P plus rank was twenty seven, which is very good for someone in the summer. Quite level. impressive. Yeah, um, they play very good defense. Um, they run a what I would characterize as brutally efficient offense. They just can get three yards on you, mm-hmm. and that's you know their sort of method is to keep the game close, get ahead of you, and then you can't run on them, basically. Or that was their method last year. We'll talk about how that's going to look this year. Well, they do have a lot of defensive players returning, I know, and yeah. they're very, very good at tackling in space. Yeah, they, um, they have, and just like you said, their their rushing is is on point. Like they'll just get a few yards at a time, and they just play smash mouth football. Yeah, I mean, they really do. Sort of without the five star um, talent, they really are sort of in the model of the sort of traditional SEC team that comes in and just like beats you up, mm-hmm. runs the ball down your throat, gets ahead. Has a has a have a quarterback who will will make a bunch of high percentage throws and not turn the ball over and just win this like horrible Big Ten style game on you. Um, you know that was last year. I think I think you know coming forward. I think the the biggest key to me, the biggest thing that they're missing, they've got a something in the mid seventies in terms of returning production overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got them at. 76 returning production overall that's 80 offensively 72 percent returning on defense i think the biggest thing that they're losing from one year to the next is that they have graduated all but one of their returning interior defensive tackles Mm -hmm. um i think that's going to be very telling yeah so i i guess this is as good as time as any to talk about this year um you know they they lost a couple of defensive tackles but they have they have a lot coming back they have a good off they have a decent offensive line a very a for the Sun Belt, very good quarterback, a good running back, an efficient running back, and you know pretty much their whole defense back. The biggest things they're losing are um, inside linebacker and defensive tackle, 
And if we're talking about keys for us, you know, um, in terms of like what what does UGA have to do to win this game? We're about to give you a bunch of stats that talk about that. <laughs> and we're about to really get into the weeds. But let me just let me give you this caveat up front. If Nick Chubb goes off, everything we're about to say doesn't matter. It does not matter at all. If Nick Chubb goes for like 150, 200, 250, something like that. The game's over. Yeah, the game's over. Mm-hmm. They, they don't have – they are not an explosive team. If you look at their offensive radar from last year, um, they're very well-rounded on both of their radars. And the big kind of ex- – the big exception to that – scroll up a little bit the big exception to that is on their 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 passing uh yards per completion and their their pass down sr plus which is like how good they are at completing pass downs where they're like second or third and long um those are the big divots and how good they are offensively so if we get up on them and just run the ball down their throat and basically and i know this is going to sound cliche and not and it runs contrary to our look deeper into the numbers but this is a place where like the traditional narrative of if we just do what we come to do we'll win yeah and 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 what that means is if we are efficient and effective in establishing the run game with nick chubb and sony michelle and brian harrian and this big huge stable of backs that we have we're going to win this game but that's not what you come here for Let, <laughs> let's get into the nitty-gritty so what th- talking about this game justin what worries you about app state what worries me about app state would be um how efficient their defense is at stopping the run I, I think something that's going to help with that is just going to be, you know, they did lose the losing the defensive lot tackles and losing, um, you know, well to graduation losing both inside linebackers. I think should help, but yes, it should definitely help. Yeah, they they are by reputation and by stat a fundamentally sound team. Mm-hmm. They're efficient defensively and offensively. Um, I'm worried, and this is a very interesting note that you pulled up on our notes. Um, one of the most efficient offensive teams in the nation last year, mm-hmm. right? Our efficiency on third down, what you wrote, and I want to quote you because you did such a good job here. <laughs> Our efficiency on third down will determine the out- outcome of this game. Yep. If we can get them to go three and out and we can keep converting three d- third downs, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. And that's normally true, but for an offense that is bad, when we're facing an offense that's bad on, at, uh, on passing downs and we're playing against a defense that is very good on running downs and uh, defending the rush, that is that is more true than it is normally this time. Mm-hmm. And you got to think though that looking at their stats from last year, they have most definitely been working on the lowest hanging fruit. And so uh, I would would like to think that App State's going to come in with a different game plan, trying to fix, of course, where their biggest weaknesses are. But I know that Kirby Smart's the kind of coach that's going to exploit those as best he can. Um, and looking at those things, he said himself that they look great on film. He's been watching a ton of film. All the guys have been watching a ton of film, which they should be doing. Uh, but I think they're coming into this very well prepared uh, to definitely beat the App State of last year. So we're, we're definitely going to have to see what that defense looks like this year. Yeah, I mean, they offensively, they did not play a defense as good as ours last year. No. And I think you're right. One thing that you kind of touched on there with everybody watching film, the advantage that we have is that, A, the specter of the Michigan loss still hangs i think over everybody mm-hmm. uh whoever play whoever of the michigan win rather uh, whoever anyone who plays app state is constantly going to th- be thinking about that and b this is game one of the season this is something i touched on earlier and you know i know that we try to reject narratives but if you have been in a college stadium on game one and it is night to some extent you get a little extra juice from that oh it's nuts it's this absolutely is insane yeah this is not going to be lsu georgia this is not going to be georgia tech georgia 
It's not even going to be Auburn, Georgia. But it will be a game where the fans can make a decided impact, you know, on how juiced the players are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't foresee us coming out flat. But I do think that if we do, it is a very bad sign. Oh, it's a real bad sign. It's going to set the tone for the rest of the season. Yeah, and just all of the soft factors. There's there's really no excuse for coming out flat this. I mean, look, you can be, you know, sort of the old man coach if you want and just say, like, well, you should never come out flat, but it just happens. But really, there there's no contributing outside factor to this game that makes you think that this is a team should, that should come off flat. We're not coming off a big win. Um, this isn't kind of an overlooked spot. People have constantly been talking, and we'll talk about this when we get to, like, the media narrative around this game. But, you know, this is... People are saying that App State can win this game in the media. This is like the uh, when you're trying when you're a former player and you're trying to be clever and you want to pick an upset. This is the p- the game that people pick. So mm-hmm. there's really no I cannot fathom an outside reason for anyone for any person on the team to not be totally committed to this game and uh, and to be playing you know playing non sleepily. It's not an eleven thirty start. It's not even a three thirty start. It's a six o'clock start under the lights in Sanford. I can't. I can't imagine a team that is going to win eight or nine games not getting up for this game. So and if they don't, then they're not getting up at all this season. Yeah, yeah. So I think you know, in terms of stats, we've kind of bounced around here. Mm-hmm. One other note I want to make about the App State offense is, you know, if we get them in third down, that's going to be good for us. If we get them in third and long, they're, they they were not very efficient on third on th- uh, passing downs, and they were also not very efficient last year on third downs overall. So if you look at their uh, offensive rank on third down S&P Plus, it's 74th. First down S&P Plus, 46th. Second down uh, S&P Plus, 30. So if you can get them into third and long, basically you're in, you're in a good spot. Um, their overall success rate is 40%, which I think is pretty clearly brought down by how low their third down success rate is. Mm-hmm. Um, that still puts them at the 15th spot. Like that's that's still solid. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely they're definitely solid. I just think if we can if we can get them into third down into third and long situation, if we can if you can get this team into anything third and six and over, I think mm-hmm. you're in good spots. Yeah. Second and six, second and seven, those are also good those are good downs for us. Um if you look at their S P by quarter, you see uh, S P plus by court from quarter one to four is thirty two, twenty two, fifty four, and one oh three. What that tells me is that they're probably not that deep. No, the injury luck last year for them was very good. Um, I don't have the injury injury luck statistic in front of me, but it is very. They were very highly ranked in terms of just like what they lost. They did not lose a lot of snaps to injury. Um, you gotta think that that is not that you know regression to the mean means that they're going to lose more people this year. That probably shouldn't matter as much in game one, but it it is something that could come up. There are several spots, including the offensive line, uh, basically both the lines, the linebacking core. Where if they lose somebody, it's going to go from someone who is a solid player that's been groomed up to a low two-star freshman. So that's something to keep in mind. If you see someone get carted off on App State side, it actually could have a big effect on the game. It could have a big deal, yeah. It's it's very interesting you say about... Um, they did get very lucky on the defensive side of the ball last year when it came to injuries. But on the offensive side of the ball, which is what... Um, I'm not necessarily worried about because their defense like we've already established is the the real star of this app state team but um taylor lamb is very efficient is even the word he he is efficient short we've established that but he's lamb, also who is the quarterback for app state yeah he knows his team he knows the people who are playing on this team he threw to 13 different targets last year 13 separate receivers caught touchdowns last year 
Uh, and that's not even counting uh, Jalen Moore. So he knows who's out there. He knows how to pick apart a defense. Um, and it, they know our weaknesses already, which we've already established in the secondary. What's going to happen? How are we going to stop Taylor Lamb? Well, I think two things. One, I don't think that they have seen the, the, a DB core that is as, as athletic as ours, even mm-hmm. though I'm not I'm not going to claim that we have like the 85 bear, Bears DB core, but um, we do have a very athletic, we have a very physical defensive back core. And I really think what it's going to come down to is, you know, if Dominic Sanders can get everybody in the right place and we avoid just blown, total blown coverages, just and not even in terms of someone getting beat, but just in terms of someone being in the wrong spot. I do think we have the guys to run outrun them. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at their stats for last last year from a um, from a you know in terms of uh, passing, they really are not. I mean, they were 39th in passing S and P plus, but uh, if you look at their like yards per completion, it's not very good. No, it's pretty um, low. And so what that tells me is that. They are they're they're gonna they will like you said pick you apart is the right term they're gonna go underneath they're gonna run drags and hitches and short outs and crosses and flat flat route combos to the running back they're gonna run bubble screens they're gonna run running back screens they're gonna run you know they might try to get spicy and run a tunnel screen or a tight end screen they're gonna run a lot of stuff where you throw within four to five um, mm. four to five yards of the uh, line of scrimmage but I think the key for us is we have the athletes that if we keep that stuff in front of us, can shut it down. I think yards after the catch is going to be, and yards after contact, is going to be a very important stat in this game in terms of you know what we do against their offense. If we keep everything in front of us and we make them just get four yards a pop, we're going to be in good shape. Um, because I, 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 like our, I like our defensive back core, it, not against every team, but against this team, I like our defensive back core in terms of the long ball, just because history has shown us statistically that they're not very good at it and they weren't very good at the long ball last year against teams whose defenses were not as good as us i also think you know if you look at their offensive line stats um it's not all that i mean they were they're a good offensive line and they're clearly very uh they're clearly very well coached rather um and they're very you know they're very good at getting um at getting the yards that they need like you said in terms of being efficient but they were middle of the road in stuff rate, offensive stuff rate, stuff rate last year. And their adjust in line yards were also middle of the road. Mm-hmm. So we're talking 50, 60, 70s. And yes, I totally get the hypocrisy of that because I would kill to have UGA's off, uh, adjusted yard lines be in the 50s or 60s. But I do think that the strength of our defense is the front seven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that what we need to look out for is is our defense keeping everything in front of it? Is it playing? Are they playing assignments well? Do there not seem to be many breakdowns in coverage? Do you see Dominic Sanders in the back half just yelling at people and waving his arms frantically to get people in the right spot? If you don't see those things, I think that we have this. We have the horses to outrun them. Um, having said that, they do have a twenty-one percent win expectancy. This mm-hmm. is uh, basically a fourteen-point game, as Bill Connolly says it sees it. So. I don't necessarily see us winning this game by like 35 points, but I do think that if we do what we need to do, we'll win. And once again, if Nick Chubb comes out and has a, just a stellar game, then nothing we've said matters at all. Yes, because, well, no, I mean, I and I think that is true, not just in terms of, the, that seems asinine. Yeah, it sounds and, like we're sensationalizing it, but it's yeah, true. It, like, it, it's, it really is true inside of the context of the, of the stats here, because the fact of the matter is, 
they have a depleted, well, I don't even want to say depleted, but they are thinner at defensive line and inside linebacker than they were last year. And they are a they are an offense predicated on being efficient. If you are down by 14 in the second quarter and you or 21 in the second quarter or 28 in the second quarter and you need to come back, you cannot be efficient. You have to be explosive. This is not an offense that's designed to come from behind. And I think that that reflects their 103rd ranking or 104th ranking in um offensive SMT plus in the fourth quarter is just that, you know, A, they didn't have to come back a lot. A lot of the times they were just running the ball for one yard and then punting mm-hmm. it. And B, when they did try to come back, they weren't very good at it. So, you know, it, it, it is always true that if Nick Chubb runs for 200 yards, nothing that we say matters. But in this instance, um, they don't have the horses to come back from that kind of performance. If we're, if we're chunking off these 10, 15 play drives that last five, six minutes on the clock, um, I actually wrote. I actually wrote at one point. They're effed on yeah, our show. They notes. are effed. Yeah, and it comes down to conditioning as well. We're just yeah. having a a team like Georgia, a team that is as big as Georgia, that can put as much money as they can into it. Uh, you're just going to have a team that's just they're more athletic. They're going to stay out there longer, and it does, like Nathan said, by the quarter, App State's um, the variance in their 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 quarter S and P plus drops like a hundred ranks or something ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, you know, I thought I think that speaks to depth, just like you said. We are very, very deep at the defensive line. If we are, if if we are giving things up, you know, halfway through the game on the defensive line, um, if we're giving up easy five, six yard runs, that is a that is something that we should be concerned about. Talking about big predictions of this game, so we kind of want to. We're, we're still trying to figure out how we want to present our own predictions in a cohesive way that's fun to listen to. Um, and so one of those ways is we want to go, we want to get real specific about our predictions. So one prediction that I'd like to see happen in this big game is I want our defense, I want four to seven sacks. I want six sacks on Taylor Lamb. I want the defense to come out, put a lot of pressure on Taylor Lamb. I want to throw less than 110 yards this game. I want as many sacks as we can possibly get. And I don't think that's that far-fetched because we know that's what we have to do to stop this team's offense. So, are you predicting that to happen? I'm predicting four sacks. Okay, really. Six, six is the goal. Four is four is uh, what you think is is feasible. Yeah. What I would like to see is I would like to see Nick Chubb come out and average. I would like to see our adjusted line yards for this game, regardless of quarterback, to be something like I don't know over a hundred. I'd like to see us getting a lot of nice, easy three to four yard runs that the line the inside linebackers have to clean up that's mm-hmm. goal one goal two i really want to see nick chubb break one to two runs I, i'd like to see nick chubb break a one two runs over 50 yards i definitely think that's possible later in the game too yeah my prediction would be that he'll get one over 50 and when he gets a if if he does very well he gets a run over 50 yards i think they might pull him um the other thing i would like to see but i'm not predicting is i would really like to see uh i would like to see just a this is hard to quantify. I would like to see an offense that does not surrender any procedure penalties and an offense wherein um, Jacob Eason uh, completes at least one pass that goes more than 25 yards in the air. Wouldn't that be the dream? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what I think will happen is I think that Jacob will probably have one. I think I'd, I'd say he'll probably have two passes that go at least 15 in the air and he might be like, Oh, for one above 25 feet, 25 to the air. Um, I think he's going to have a good game against them, but I don't think that we're necessarily going to see him solve his long down the field um, uh, accuracy problems. 
right off on the first game. No, especially since we haven't, we, we don't have a lot of synergy between the receiving core and Jacob Eason just yet with so much movement in the receiving core once again. Um, so let's talk about score predictions. What, what, do you, what do you think this looks like? I think it's going to be closer than we want it to be. I think it's going to be, I don't think the App State will break 20. And I do think that Georgia will be in the 20s. Mm. So I'm thinking like a, I hope it's not a one score game, but 24-17 or 21-13, something like that. Uh, I don't think is that crazy to think about. It's either, I think it's either going to be that close or it's going to be uh, a huge blowout on Georgia's side. I'm going to say that we cover the Bill the Bill Connolly's prediction is uh, he has App State at negative 14.5 points. He thinks it's a two-touchdown game. Mm-hmm. I think this is a 35-14 game. I don't think this is a game where we're going to have the second string in in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we will probably be going into halftime at something like 21-7. But I think coming out, we'll get to – we'll do – I think that uh, Nick Chubb or Sonny Michelle or Brian Harrion will have – one to uh, two to three touchdowns combined in the second half that are just on basically based on their depth um, in the defensive tackle. And I think that at least one of those touchdowns will come from an inside run, an interior ISO play or a crackback or a, um, like a counter inside or whatever. Yeah. So let, let's, let's take a minute and talk about what do we think the media narratives coming into this game? I mean, my impression of it is that this is a trendy upset pick that most people think will, I think most people think that Georgia will win this game, but not comfortably just because of how Georgia has played. And, you know, looking at this non-statistically, I can definitely see that. And I think this is also a trendy upset pick. Um, the narrative I've also seen is the is the whole, like, well, this will show, this will be one of the indications of how good of a coach Kirby Smart is, you know, taking care of business against a bad team. You know, that rings false to me just because this isn't a bad team. App State is not. That's what I'm seeing in the media. You've got, have you got anything? Yeah, I know that uh, everyone talks about the Michigan game, but if you really want to look at the Michigan game, it was 10 years ago at this point. Completely different team. Uh, It's not the same thing at all. You can't really say that this App State team is the one that beat Michigan necessarily. And I think it's crazy to say that, that, like, sure, it's a sexy upset like everyone wants to talk about. And sure, like, it's always fun to see the underdog win unless it's against your team. But I don't think it's going to, to be that game, and I don't think it's going to be the Tennessee game last year either. I know that App State went to Knoxville last year and held them into overtime. That's Everyone thought that last year was going to be Tennessee's year, and that's why it was as crazy of uh, a game as it was. But really, as we know now, with Tennessee's game in the books, or season in the books at this point, it was just a bad, bad Tennessee team. Well, yeah. I mean, they were bad at taking care of things like that, certainly. Um, yeah, I agree. I, this is not Michigan. Um, this is not that team. That is a false narrative for sure. It is, I think, just sort of the lazy take to be like, oh, App State's playing a D1 school, Michigan, haha. Yeah. Um, but, you know, A, that Michigan team was not good. That 2007 Michigan no. team turned out to just be bad. Um, and that was just sort of a, that was a flaw in our prognostication as a sort of college football universe. Um, and two, that App State team was, if not better than this one, but easily as good, if maybe a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so those are our horrible media narratives for them <laughs> that I hope that we have dispelled. And so you'll know, and this is the service that we are trying to provide for you. Uh, next week, if we win, if we win big, if we win close, if we lose close, if we go to overtime, you will have, you will be armed with the stats to say, oh, no, no. But actually, we're just, we, what we want to do is just turn you into a very well versed, very schooled troll. 
so that when someone tries to say something stupid and narrative-driven dri- narrative about this game, you can come back at them with data. <laughs> Making us all math robots yeah, by the end of this season. My goal is that you're at your own personal tailgate and that you're hanging out with your friends and maybe you've had a couple and everybody's getting real loquacious and you just are like, well, let me tell you about offensive S&P Plus broken down by quarter. And you just like go off on the diatribe. That's my goal for you. That's my wish for you, dear reader. I look forward to it. This has been Chapel Bell Curve. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else you can subscribe to a podcast. You can get in touch with us at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com and on Twitter at chapelbellcurve. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a rating and review. And until then, we'll catch you in the Classic City next week. Until then, go, go dogs. dogs.